This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 9th, episode 1693. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me up. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Karen, I just looked. Your first appearance on our show was in September of 2013. Wow. So you're going on your fourth year. You're in your fourth year. With Already? Us. Wow. Time <laughs> I flies. How I did, know. You know. Gosh, how does that happen? <laughs> I, I was surprised, too. I thought, well, she's probably been doing this two years, you know? And yeah, I was going, a couple years. Yeah. No, it's four, four years. years. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so uh, so we're glad you're still with us after yeah. all this time. And cool. have, are we running out of things to talk about yet? No, not even close. All right, well I, then I'll let you stay I around keep, for a little while longer then. Okay, good. Because right. I keep actually ending up with more. I, you know, it's like two days before the show, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't have any guests. And then next thing I know, I've got like more than I need, you know. It always so, happens that way. <laughs> Isn't it? But it's great. You know, there's so many interesting people out there. And still, there's just a, a huge amount of people that I haven't even been able to get to yet. So, um, but they're all on my list. So <laughs> we'll eventually get them all. <laughs> well, there's something we have to do before we get started talking about endurance riding today. And it's this. Happy Happy birthday, dear. It's my wife's birthday, Jennifer's birthday today. May Yay, the night. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Jennifer. Woohoo. Thank you. And it's also, uh, we have a couple of our listeners' birthdays today. Uh, one of our auditors, Avery, it's her birthday today. And also a good friend of the Horse Radio Network, professional photographer Scott Trees. It's his birthday today, too. So happy birthday to all the May 9th uh, yeah. babies today. Cool. Uh, Jennifer's 39 again. Uh, that's a good age. Good age, Jennifer. <laughs> Glad you're sticking with it. I think so. I'm sticking with it. Yeah. And two <laughs> weeks from today, we'll be on vacation, and we're both very happy about that. <laughs> oh, good. Where are you going to go? We're doing a cruise uh, this time. We're going to oh, do okay. a seven-night cruise out of uh, Port Canaveral here in Florida. 
Oh, okay. So that's going to be fun. I said I want to do a vacation that we just show up and don't have to do anything, like move hotels. Like every time we go to the national parks lately, we've been traveling and, you know, you you switch hotels and it's all just kind of a pain in the neck. So uh-huh. I said, let's just do something that we just don't have to worry about that. But yet we still go to different places. Well, that's a cruise, <laughs> That right? works. That's a cruise. That's cool. right. Takes you to How the different fun. places without having to change hotels. Yeah. So, so that's what we're doing, and we're looking forward to that coming up. Um, but you have a unbelievable show planned for today. you got a ton of people lined up. But we have to get caught up on what's going on in the world. And I, it was so funny because I was talking to you yesterday. Uh, and ever since I became friends with the guy that does the Appalachian Trail podcast, Mighty Blue, I've discovered other people that are out there more adventurous than us. And one of those is a girl named Dixie. And Dixie hiked the Appalachian Trail and then has a whole series of... He, she's a very big YouTube star now. She does all this hiking stuff. And and she sounds like Dixie, by the way. She's from Alabama. Okay. So, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, she sounds just like she would imagine. And she's blonde and all that stuff. But she decided <laughs> to hike the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail. And we've talked about that. Well, she posted this picture on her latest blog post of a woman riding the PCT, and it was the same woman we talked to last month. Right. That was Phyllis and Georgie. It's a small world. (laughs) It is. It's a a 3,000-mile trail, but it's a small world. (laughs) (laughs) So so do you have any updates from from our friends riding the uh, Pacific Crest Trail? Yes. Actually, I was able to talk to Phyllis last night. They're taking a couple days off right now. Now, for those that missed last month, just... Give them a reminder of who she is and what she's riding and all of that. Stuff. Right. She's an endurance rider who lives in Truckee, California. And her um, big goal that she's been pl- working towards for the last couple of years is to try to ride the entire Pacific Crest Trail in one year. And, of course, the weather this year isn't cooperating. There is so much snowpack in the Sierras and the Cascades. She's going to have to leapfrog back and forth to do the sections that are accessible right now and then come back later after the snow is melted, and, and, you know, uh, like, like in September. This and is uh, 2,600 miles from Mexico into Canada. And right. uh, it is an elevation change. That means your ups and downs as you go, because it's through mm-hmm. the mountains, is 420,000 feet. You're going to right. be going up and down. The highest point is Forrester Pass, uh, which is going to be at about fourteen thousand feet. So, right, yeah, right. this is a this is a serious ride. <laughs> it is, and she's uh, her last day that she rode. I think day before yesterday, she did a thirty-seven mile day. She was out there wow. for like fourteen hours. Wow. Uh, she encountered all this downfall of trees on the trail. Some of it in the dark. Um, you, you know, you so sent it, us some pictures, and of course, they've California's had heavy rains and heavy winds this year, which mm-hmm. is why the trees are all down. Usually, they keep these trails pretty cleared out. There's conservancies that do that, but I don't think they can keep up this year. And I don't know how she got across some of those trees. The hikers can climb; they're across, huge, right? But right, yeah. but even still, that's a huge amount of effort for a hiker that's got a pack with them to get over some of that stuff. But imagine when you've got a horse to try to get over. At, that and to do it safely it's just it's insane and she has encountered up to now eight rattlesnakes 
And the one she said snake, I think it was snake number seven. (laughs) Uh, She was leading her horse and here she almost stepped on it. And it was a rather large snake. Um, I guess later she ended up talking to other hikers who had seen the snake and told her, yeah, that thing was a monster. It was huge. So she jumps and she ends up jumping over the snake to keep from stepping on it. And now she has the snake in between her and her horse. <laughs> I know. I know. What do you do then? And, <laughs> and so she was able to, she kind of had to climb the horse up on the bank to go around the snake the best that she could and just prayed that the snake didn't try to strike or anything and, and got around it. But um, I guess other Why, why do people do this again? What's the reason <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out? Well, why do we do anything? I guess. <laughs> I guess, you know, Dixie was in her latest video. She posted that uh, she they came around a corner. She was hiking with someone else, came around a corner. There's this guy that had a had a rattlesnake attached to his pant leg, and he was trying to beat it to death oh. with his hiking poles. Oh, god! Because it had struck out and got his pant leg, but not his leg. And he oh, was trying to gosh. jab it in the head with his hiking poles. To get oh, it off. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're going to have some really crazy stories. And then our other endurance writer friend uh, named Gary, um, and he's got a blog for those that want to go read some of his adventures. It's Gary Pegg, and Pegg is spelled P-E-G-G, dot com. And apparently he was off of his horse getting a drink out of a creek when some motorcycles came along, spooked the horse. The horse took off. The horse has his GPS tracker, his cell phone, his water, everything is on the horse and the horse takes off and leaves him. And so he ended up on this like three and a half hour long search till he finally eventually was able to retrieve the horse, luckily safe and sound and, and then uh, continue. But uh, yeah, these people are having some (laughs) real adventures that make, you know, most endurance rides seem pretty tame. (laughs) Now the one comment, it was interesting too. the one comment that the hikers that are, have hiked the Appalachian trail and then are hiking the PCT now say that the trail is much wider and better maintained than the Appalachian trail. It's because of the horses. They, they, you know, they made when they made the trail. They made it with horses in mind. Oh, okay. So apparently, it's a little bit nicer hiking trail because of because of being ready for the horses. But apparently, a lot more snakes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too yeah, real very enticing at all. And you know, and Phyllis has said she has to carry water. She typically will carry like three gallons of water for her horse each day because there's been these really long, long sections where um, there is no water. And it's it's a it's a tough trail. And then uh, Gary today, his plan, I believe, was to ride a 42 mile day today. So, you know, these these people are out there for some long, long hours, you know, I hope he doesn't lose his horse again. No, we all hope that. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I just have to question well, you're going on a trail like this with a horse that's not, you know, kind of you know, able to deal with stuff like motorcycles. Yeah, you think <laughs> that would have been a, uh, an issue that would be pretty easy after everything else they've seen, right? You would uh, think. Unless right, you're what, he, who knows how close they came either. So. Like, like, like if you look at his, uh, his blog, he had posted early on, they ride past a wildlife camp thing. And in these cages, chain link cages, there's grizzly bears. I mean... <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. You know, so if a horse can handle that, you'd think a motorcycle would be no big deal, but you know, that's just the thing with horses is you just, you know, they are unpredictable critters. You just never know what they might do or not do. Well, uh, speaking of uh, critters, we're going to be talking about that in your endurance tip today, too. But first, we're going to go to Jennifer, and she's going to tell us what's coming up on the rest of the show. You know, it is her birthday, but she still has to work. I'm a tough (laughs) boss. There we go. (laughs) Excuse me. Coming up on today's endurance episode, we'll get a report on the Biltmore ride that happened last week or a week before from Lynn Gilbert. And then Karen Baumgartner takes us back in time with some great stories about how endurance used to be. And then Tevis Talks host Matt Scribner gives us the philosophical take on the sport. And filling in the wooded trail in between, we've got stories and helpful tips aplenty. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. God, I can't wait to hear about that Biltmore ride. It sounded like a mud fest, like uh, Woodstock all over again. (laughs) (laughs) I know, brave riders. (laughs) And we had talked about that last month, right? We had the person on, the lady on who runs it. uh, And so we'll get a report from one of the riders on what happened and what what kind of nightmares they found. It's the day of nightmares here on uh, the Endurance (laughs) Show. So um, you... uh, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about, about a recent encounter you had, and it was a little a bit snake. more about right about the wildlife. Yeah. I went out riding this last weekend with my ten-year-old junior rider and my dog. I take my uh, she's an Australian cattle dog named Taz, and we're out there and we found this really cool single-track trail. And I'm thinking, man, this is the neatest trail. This would be fun to have my husband come out with all the dogs and go hiking. And then all of a sudden, out of the side of my eye, I catch a blur just whoosh going by me and I realized oh that's my dog chasing something my dog was chasing a coyote because <laughs> it had that's gotten great. too close to the horses okay. and this coyote was easily as big as she is I mean this this was you know a, a nice healthy sized coyote and um it I don't know I'm not quite sure yet if it was being playful if it was trying to you know um drum up lunch <laughs> out of my dog, you know, and lure her away and then have... Yeah, because the, they work in their, packs. One one lures them away and the others and attack. Then, yeah. Right. And then there's another one or, or more than one off waiting and, and then they attack the dog. And I've been on rides with friends where that actually has happened. And, you know, it's a wild animal. They they kill for a living, That's you know, right. in That's order to survive. <laughs> and yeah, my dog is not, you know, she might think she's tough and she is obviously very brave or stupid or both, but she was chasing that thing in hot pursuit. And I mean, literally it was, they went by me like four feet from my side where I was on the horse. And so and she chased it. Freak out? No, the horses were fine. Yeah. The horses were you fine. And, they well, they've experienced so much stuff in their lives that that's not that big of a deal. But the coyote, I called my dog. Thank God she has really good recall, and she came back. And uh, but the coyote kept trying to come in and lure her off, and, and it kept trying to cut us off. It kept trying to get in between the horses and the dog. 
And I think I would have really had a problem had the dog not had good recall and stayed right next to us. And so that the coyote ended up following us for like four miles. Wow. Was it a big it one? Was, I've seen, we've seen some really big ones. Yes. In fact, Akash, I need to, that was, I needed to post a photo. I posted some on my Facebook page and I even got video, but yes, it was the, the most brazen coyote encounter I've had for easily 15 or 20 years now. I haven't had one that, that was that brave. It just, it didn't exhibit any kind of fear at all. So I don't really know what it was doing, if it was playful, like Did I said, look playful like looking a for a meal. Bread? Because that happens, they get bred with, you know, they breed with dogs and you end up with these half-bred and they are a little braver. Right, you know, it, anything's possible, but I mean, if you look at the pictures I've got, it definitely looks like a full coyote. And, uh, you know, so I kind of went online and I looked up a little bit of, uh, you know, what you should do in that situation. Cause I had people on my Facebook page saying, Oh, you should carry a firearm. And I'm thinking, Oh yeah, that's real brilliant. Then I can get me and the junior dumped off. The horses will run home without us. My dog will run in fear because she's afraid of gunshots. And then the coyote can do whatever it wants. I mean, I'm like, there's no way I'm on the back of a horse that I'm going to be able to shoot a moving target. Yeah, that even my the, dog is chasing. <laughs> even the mounted shooter guys are shooting at a stationary target. So <laughs> I know. No, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know that you're not worrying about shooting your own dog because it's, you know, chasing the thing that I mean, you know, it, it's sort of like, yeah, no, we got to be realistic here because, well, first of all, my dog doesn't like gunshots. And so, you, you know, I wanted the dog to stay close. <laughs> so, you know, carrying a firearm is not really very practical. Yeah, ours you know? doesn't either. Ours doesn't like gunshots either. She'll, she would be going the uh, other direction. <laughs> right. And that's kind of the opposite of what I mean, I can understand, you know, if you want to fire a warning shot or something like that, or if you don't have a dog with you, then a, a warning shot or whatever might be a little, you, you know, more uh, um, of something that you would actually do. But in this case, you know, I've got a 10 year old kid, it, you know, I didn't really you know, the horses aren't used to you shooting off of them. I mean, you're going to end up, you know, with somebody getting in trouble out there. And as it was, the dog, she, she seemed to think she had everything under control. She, <laughs> you so know. What, what, what are you supposed to do? Well, it says that, that most of the time when they're hunting, it's usually at dawn and dusk and at nighttime. So if you are out on the trail, you should, you know, probably put your dog on a leash which may or may not be that practical when you're you know if you're riding on a horse so in that case you need to have a dog that will stay like within sight and has excellent recall and so that's an important thing to work on is the recall because i i'm sure if my dog didn't have good recall she would have been lunch you know so that's that's an important thing our to uh, practice. greyhound would have been lunch <laughs> oh. <laughs> lunch and dinner yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh and and so you know the important thing is you don't let your dog get out of sight on the trail um or you know if there's bushes and grass you need to make sure your dog stays within sight so you can always see uh, where your dog is and basically it's kind of almost like the same thing with you know, probably any kind of wild animal, you're supposed to make yourself look big, as big as you can, shout at it, you can pick up sticks and rocks, throw it, 
at the coyote and just, you, you know, you need to be really careful, especially if there's more than one of them, you know, cause when they get together in a pack, that's when they're hunting larger game. Um, but right now we've got so many rabbits, there's rabbits, there's snakes, lizards. I'm sure there's mice all over out there. Like when we ride, we'll do a ride in two hours, we see 20 rabbits. And so there's plenty of food for them. So they shouldn't need to be hunting in packs. But when they are in packs, I mean, that really, that'll make your hair stand on end when you encounter a pack of coyotes, especially if they're kind of circling around you, you know, that, that'll, that'll make you a little bit nervous. But um, you can carry mace, bear spray, whistles, air horns stuff stuff like that to try to help scare the the coyote off and and like in my case now that i know where that coyote's territory is and i googled it to look up a female coyote will cover something like a seven mile or so range whereas a male coyote may cover up to something like 40 miles of area that will be their territory so i will not bring my dog anymore into that area, just at least not for a, for a while, um, just because it's just not worth the risk to have something like that happen again. We lived because I just we lived. I in, don't trust. Yeah, I want to say we lived in rural where we lived in Kentucky when we lived in Lexington. We lived in a neighborhood right outside of town, a, you know, suburban neighborhood, a whole bunch of you know cookie cutter houses. And mm-hmm. so the one day I'm mowing my lawn in the backyard, and up on the other side of the lawnmower, this what I thought was a large dog goes by, and then I look oh, again, no. and it's a coyote going right uh-huh. by my lawnmower. Five feet oh from me God. in the backyard, and then oh, heads, uh, heads out into the field. And I told Jennifer about it, and she said, "Ah, oh, that you just were seeing things. It must have been a dog." So then we're out uh, a couple days later, uh, walking around the block, just taking our dog for a walk around the block. And the couple of the neighbors are pointing at something in the one field, and sure enough, there's the same very large coyote. Uh, and I th- we think it was one of those. They must have a name. The ones that are crossbreeding with a dog, um, right? Because it looked. Like dog coyote, but it was, like you said, very brave. And then, like two days later, I am walking uh, our dog again around the block, and not five feet from me in the middle of the street, kind of following us down the middle of the street, is the guy, same coyote. And I got pictures oh, wow. of it right there, right, right, oh, my right, gosh. right 10 feet from us. Um so, yeah, there are some brave ones. Jennifer posted on our Horses in the Morning page, and we'd like you to do this. We'll, we'll give a report at the end of the show. She posted, what is the most interesting wildlife you've encountered while riding? So please go in there and post. We've, we're getting answers. And at the end of the show, Karen, we'll have to remember to read those off and see what, what we found. <laughs> oh, okay. That'll be fun. You know, the funnest thing is one time I rode past the fairgrounds, which are just a mile from my house, and they were doing a Shriner Circus. And I rode literally past elephants and lions and tigers and bears. That was like the coolest thing. (laughs) (laughs) They they were in their cages, right? The elephants were in corral panels that are the exact same ones that we use to put our horses in at endurance rides. (laughs) (laughs) It does make you wonder why they stay. Yes, they could easily, they could just walk right through them. Are you kidding? But then so could our horses when you think about it. They can and they do. Yeah. Yes, they, they do. And um, But, you know, until you're seated on a horse right next to an elephant, it, the concept of how big they are, it it's doesn't right. really sink in. I'll tell you, it was like, 
Wow. Yeah. So that was like the most amazing animal that I've ever been able to have the pleasure to ride by or be near while I was on a horse. (laughs) Well, go ahead to our Facebook page and post your most interesting wildlife experience. Jennifer started the thread there at Horses in the Morning. But now we have to head to one of our terrific sponsors at Distance Depot. We have Kristen coming on this morning. Maybe we can ask her the same question. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Good. Hi, good morning. Kristen, how so, are you doing? What's the wildest That's wildlife fine. encounter you've had? I don't know. I was thinking about that while I listened to you guys. I don't think I've had anything quite like that. <laughs> so, yeah. We need that's, to get you out more. Exciting stuff. I know. I think so. Even a snake? Have you seen snakes? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Some snakes and that sort of thing. And, and oddly enough, I see them and am more frightened by them, I think, than my horse. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, pigs, wild pigs. When I was a kid, we had um, some some wild pigs in the neighborhood, and they just um, they would frighten the horses more than sure. anything. Not that you know, rustling through the bushes, and I don't know why a horse is so afraid of a pig, but they really seem to be. Well, the wild worse. pigs yeah. are just freaky and scary. I'm sorry. They are. <laughs> yes. They are for sure. Hey, I got, why? we have one here. I have to tell you guys, uh, this just came in from Rachel who lives in one of our listeners in Australia. And she said, nothing bad, mostly kangaroos and wallabies, but every now and oh. then we see an Ichinda, Ichinda. And it's this little ball-like thing that's uh, freaky looking. She posted a picture. I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you check it out. The, the picture's on our Facebook page, too. But yeah, that's something you don't hear every day that we don't have to run into is kangaroos and wallabies. We don't see those too often. Right, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, and, and I think most of the snakes in Australia are pretty much deadly poisonous. Yeah, exactly. They have like 20 <laughs> right. deadly poisonous snakes, so if you come across a snake, it's pretty much going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, stay away. No kidding. Yeah. Scary, scary, scary. So, so Kristen, today we were going to talk about a little bit. I had this brilliant idea the other day that, you know, that since we didn't have spring, we went right from winter into summer. And then, of course, that didn't really work because as soon as I came up with this idea to talk about um, electrolytes for humans and how to keep the riders cooled off, it it's... It's now raining, snowing, um, right. flooding. <laughs> well, it's that's just, okay. We can't, get a, we can't get a break. But, however, I think now we probably really are heading into warmer uh, conditions, at least through you know most of the United States. So I think now we're safe to talk a little bit about uh, keeping our riders electrolyted and and. Uh, you know, how to keep them cooled down with some of the products that the Distance Depot carries. So so uh, go ahead, Kristen, tell us a little bit about your your uh, uh, electrolytes and stuff. Okay. We um, have the noon electrolytes. We have two types. Um, one is the active hydration tablet, your basic electrolyte. Um, it, they're very simple to use. You add them to your water bottles and drink them. There are 10 tablets in each tube, and they come in nine, um, nine flavors. So lots of variety there, um, and they actually taste very good. They, are, they used plant-based um, products and sweeteners, and um, they, they really do taste 
pretty darn good. We've, mm-hmm. we've all tried them here, um, and they work real well, too, I think, much better than, than a Gatorade. Um, right, I think right. these are real electrolytes that athletes are using, so um, pretty, pretty good to have in your pack. The second type that we have is the Noon Energy, so that gives you electrolytes and a little boost. Um, those come in three flavors. And the energy that they use um, is a plant-based caffeine and a green tea extract. So very clean um, electrolytes, and, you know, people can compete on them um, and not worry about it. Not that that's what our riders are doing. Um, Certainly our riders are being tested, but um, if you are a runner, they work uh, well for competition too. Oh, good. So we also have, and I will mention just quickly, we have the Redmond salt for people, for those of you that feed it to your horse and know the benefits of the Redmond mm-hmm. salt. Um, we have it in a shaker, um, like a table salt. Um, we use it ourselves. It's really, we've replaced white iodized salt with the Redmond salt. It really is real salt. Um, just a right. better, healthier salt if, if you're going to use it at all. Um, so that's another product that, that we have. And, and we also Go ahead. We ha- I was going to tell you about our some of our cooling products. Right. That's what um, I was just going to ask about. Yeah, carrots. Um, they offer some of their um, gear um, and and apparel has um, ice fill technology, which is a material that's designed to cool you, and it works off of evaporation. So the more you move, the cooler you stay which many of us, when we're in the saddle, are moving and, and getting ready for the rides and all of that, keeping you cool. So they have some really nice um, designed um, ice fill tanks um, for warmer weather. They have the ice fill tights, which also keep you cool while you ride, nice and comfy, mm-hmm. carrot stick technology in the seat, so not too slippery um, in the saddle, which is nice, too. Um they have a sleeve for those of you um, that are concerned about sun protection. So you can wear these on your arms um, with a short sleeve shirt, and they actually keep you cool um, and, and protect you from the sun at the same time. So right. pretty nice benefit there. for those nice. I am so looking sun. forward to being able to use these things. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, already exactly. May. <laughs> it's coming. I know. I know. So, go ahead. It, so tell us your um, your website address and your phone number. All righty. We are www.thedistancedepot.com. You can reach us toll-free, 866-863-2349. Great. Well, thank you, Kristen. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again this month. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, Kristen, and beware of those deadly snakes, okay? I will. And the- All right. And those scary pigs. Yeah, and those, exactly. those coyotes and uh, everything else that's going to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll see, Kristen. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, we had a chance to catch up yesterday with a guest. Why don't you tell, uh, oh, no, actually, we're going to be, Jennifer's going to be getting, our, uh, getting Lynn on next. And we're going to be right, talking about right. the Biltmore ride over the weekend. Um, right. We have, yes, we have a writer that, that rode on the 50 and she's going to tell us about the ride and, you, you know, what the trail conditions were like. Um, from all the reports I was reading on Facebook, it 
like they had torrential rains like the night before the ride and the week leading up to it. And so I'm sure that made for some interesting uh, stories. Yeah, those were the same rains that were coming across uh, getting the Indiana, Illinois and all the flooding and everything there. So, wow. so you know, it was it was really, really bad for a, for a long time, for days and days and days. Uh, and and uh, that's an area, because it's so hilly and mountainous, a little different than where you ride a lot, which is sandy. It's an area that has really good turf and a lot of mud when it rains. So wow. it's just wow. solid, gloppy, take your horseshoes off mud. You know, <laughs> take your boots off mud. That's what, right, what they right. have in that area. And, and, um, and I'm sure they have a little bit of the red clay up in there and everything else in, in that part. But she is ready. So let's introduce her and find out what happened at the Biltmore. Well, good morning, Lynn. How are you today? I'm great. Good morning. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, tell us, how, how was your ride at the Biltmore over the weekend? My ride on Friday was very good. Um, it was very conservative in little history. In 2013, in a, on a rainy Biltmore in the fall, my horse slipped in the wet grass and fell on me and crushed my ankle. And this is the first time I've been back. And so I was a little, had a little anxiety about riding the trails with the rain again, but we made it through fine. Oh, good. So what was the trail like? It was, it rained three inches when I've heard the night oh my before gosh. Uh, we started. We woke up and we had six inches of water outside the trailer door. Uh, doesn't and, that make you just want to go back to bed, Lynn, and not even get out <laughs> oh, on your it horse? Does. <laughs> it does. My horse, was his entire paddock was filled with water. He was pressed up against the side. It just filled up overnight. Uh, and the camp is next to the French Broad River. So I kept waiting, you know, for somebody to come through camp and say, you got to leave, you got to get out. But it never crested the banks. Thank goodness. Oh, my oh God. wow. The, <laughs> the, the, the loops in the woods are beautiful. They are very open under the foliage of the trees and the canopy. But they're even in dry years. The, the roots are kind of tricky and they're kind of sharp turns. And with the mud um, and the rain and it not being able to dry out or have the wind hit it, plus the rain the night before, it was very slick. We walked most of the downhills and you could just see, you know, where the hooves had slid, you know, two or three feet, plus it washed out. So you had like a slant going into a very narrow place on some of the trails in the woods. I normally don't like dirt gravel roads because they're hard and dusty but those were like the savior you were so excited when you came out on a road oh my gosh and this is a big ride isn't it do you know um approximately how many riders there were in the 50 on friday there were 80 83 started 62 completed which was really a very good completion rate of about 75 percent considering the terrain. And I think of those entries, there were 20 that were FEI. Oh, okay. Okay. And then how many were in the 100? The 100 was on Sunday? The 100 was on Saturday. Saturday. I don't okay. have the, I don't have the specifics. I know that 
a lot of the horses, I think, that were FEI either dropped down to the 75 or actually didn't go out at all. They just mm-hmm. did not want to risk it. Right, exactly. I yeah, know those, those conditions the, are scary. There were quite a few, ten, uh, maybe tendon and maybe groin pulls. Hind ends seem, and cramping seemed to be mm-hmm. the, the biggest injury that I heard about. Right. And so what is the mud like there? I, you, you know, I always compare the different types of mud, depending on which region of the country or where we're at. What's the mud like at the Biltmore? It's like red clay. That's what I thought. Oh, That's what I thought. It would suck your horse's shoes off. It'll suck your shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. And a couple of places we went across mowed grassy fields and you would think, oh, this is great, but they had standing water in them. So your horse was just, you know, we're, we train in the mountains, so our horses push off all the time and suddenly they're having to use these muscles to suck their feet out of, out of you know, a three or four inch deep hoof print. And it was just, you know, it was just prime for a cramp or, and then we also had at the end, well, when we finished, just as we crossed the line, we had a cold torrential downpour. Oh, boy. And so <laughs> I, I know it was just miserable for anyone that was behind us. And, uh, and I heard it, it was kind of cold, too, wasn't it? It was. It was in the mid to low 40s at night. Oh. And after having you know some 80s and 90s the week before. And it was just... Um, during the ride, I wore a down jacket, a fleece, and a <laughs> raincoat, and I was very comfortable. I'll tell you what, and this is a day. it was on Saturday. <laughs> we're, all we're talking about today is death, destruction, animals <laughs> attacking people, <laughs> uh, mud-laced trails. Jeez, so, <laughs> it's one of those days. Um, and- and we do this for fun. <laughs> yes, that's right. I was just thinking, and why exactly. do we all do this? <laughs> I, I heard quite a few people saying, why, why do we do this? <laughs> Not very many people were enjoying it. You know, you really had to give a hand to the volunteers that you pass on the trail and they'd been sitting out there all day for everyone. Hours. Smiling. Uh. You know, the timers, everybody just tried to put on the brave, happy face. There wasn't anything you could do. And then the, wow. uh, the vets have to be extra careful on days like that. It's a little bit more difficult for the vets, too. Uh, it's harder to it, detect the lamenesses and stuff when the horses are slipping everywhere. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, and they actually had the first they started the, the first vet check was in a, a mode field. And it was so difficult, even oh, for the no. r- riders to run, that they moved it to a dressage ring, which made which was so much better. At least it had some drainage, right? Yeah. Uh, Wow. That's crazy. And again, you know, why do we do it? There was a post on our auditor page yesterday about a lady had like five horses and they all seemed to be hurt at the same time. And she's like, why do we do this? And then everybody else's (laughs) stories of why there are, and you know, Jennifer's horse is hurt right now because my pony kicked the crap out of him. And, uh, you know, you do wonder sometimes, don't you? Why, why exactly do we do horses again? (laughs) There are a lot. Of I, I get, I, I'm sure a lot. Yeah, a lot of it's just you know the partnership, and you know yeah, this we, was definitely to me where you were riding against the trail rather than other competitors. Yeah, you know, the trail was really your biggest competitor on Friday and Saturday, and 
anybody that started it, my hat's off to them. And the ones that finished, they just did a remarkable job getting their horses through. It was, it was so much luck, too. Yeah, right. do you think that plays a big part of it in a day like that? I mean, it pl- for endurance riders like you guys, it plays a big part of it any day, right? I mean, the horse can step along any trail, dry or wet. Exactly. Yeah, but on a day like and that, it's especially... And you throw in all these other variables, right? Well, you'd probably we were talking earlier about animals you, that uh, you've encountered on, on trails, and you probably didn't see any rattlesnakes on a day like that. They're probably all <laughs> hiding. So. No. <laughs> Or they're drowned. <laughs> yeah, or they're drowning. Right, exactly. All right, Lynn. Well, then we're going to ask you, what is, the, what is the craziest animal experience you've had while out riding? I actually was able to ride in Mongolia one time, and we passed a herd of camels. That's probably the most unique thing I've passed on a trail. <laughs> wow. Have, have you had any dangerous ones where you, you felt like, like uh, Karen just had a coyote, you know, uh, uh, some coyotes tracking her and her dog while riding. Did, have you ever had anything like that? Probably, the worst is probably rattlesnakes. We yeah. ride in the mountains a lot and we have timber, timber rattlers. That's the thing I worry about the most. A lot of the trails are narrow and, Mm-hmm. The little blueberry bushes on each side, and the snakes sit in there to get the little birds, and you can't see them until you're right on them. Are they are are that particular? Uh, is that particular one aggressive, or do they hold back? I don't really know for sure. Okay. <laughs> if I, I mean, I, we've had to run by them before. I've seen them coiled up. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to like throw stones at them and had them coil up, but I don't know if Lynn's they would be smart. that way. She's just them. not testing it. Yeah, she's Hello. just not asking them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, I, th- snakes will get your heart rate up faster than almost anything. <laughs> Yeah, because oh, you don't absolutely. really have time to analyze. Is it poisonous or not? You know, you, you, you're you instantly making a decision about what you're going to do, and you're not sitting there going, okay, I'm going to... Is this one poisonous? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. One, one thing that we have we have learned to do, on a little tip, is that we'll get under your trailer. And so when we finish a ride, we will... Always Don't look under that. the trailer before we tie the horses to it. <laughs> Jennifer's over there going, la, 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 la. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, because you probably have many of your ride camps or where there's grass and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of the rides out west were on, you know, dirt. So um, there's probably not as much chance of a snake hiding underneath as, as if there is grass. But, so what do you do yeah, then? Ask it to leave? Yep. Pardon? What do you do then? Ask it to leave? Well, we just we haven't found any under our trailer. <laughs> okay. We've seen them close by. And we, we always check because we don't want the horse to be tied there and have one come out and they can't get away. So we always right. look under the trailer before we tie them when we finish. Oh, good. Well, see, that's a good <laughs> tip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll probably remember that next time. I'll be looking under my trailer just to be extra careful. <laughs> we live in Florida, so you know, we have the waters out there that are the big bowl waters that you have to dump out and you can't 
see what's underneath them, right? So every time I go over mm. to one of the big bowl waterers, I always kick it first. I don't know if I think the snake's going to just leave or if it's a rattlesnake, he's going to hiss and I'll know he's under there and then I'll just leave. I don't know what's going to happen when I kick it, but it makes me feel better. <laughs> so- <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the things we do for our I horses. Know. Well, well, Lynn, thank you so much for joining thanks, us Lynn. and letting us know what happened to Biltmore. Wow, what a wild, wild a day. And congratulations on your finish. Well, well thank you. All right. Hope to see you guys at a ride sometime. Okay, take yeah, care, Lynn. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, this show seems to have a theme. <laughs> <laughs> Whether we wanted it to or, or not. <laughs> It's all about the adversity that we face. And um, yeah, it'll be fun at the end when we get to talk to Matt about our, our uh, philosophical discussion on why we do this. Well, there, this is, per- you know, I didn't even think about that, but this is perfect for today. <laughs> we're going to have built up to it for sure. Well, you know what? And we're getting a bunch of answers on the Facebook page. What's the most interesting wildlife cool. you've encountered? So we'll do that at the end. But uh, tell us, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed is our riders that are out there on the PCT, on the Pacific Crest Trail, all seem to have on renegade boots. They do. I thought that was so cool when you you showed me the blog of this hiker. And there's a picture of Phyllis and her horse is wearing renegades. Um, She's been using them on both of her horses. And so hopefully when she finishes the whole 2,600 miles, it will be in the renegade uh, strap-on Well, I did notice the one picture you posted of was her camping. Uh, She's in a spot where she can't meet up with her her husband every night. And so it looked like the morning, and there's a picture of her. There's her little tiny tent, and the horse is uh, high tide and wearing his boots. Now, do they leave them on all the time like that, or? Do they take them off or what? You know, I think that was probably, she probably had gotten up and was starting to get ready and hadn't just broken camp down yet. But normally you don't leave the boots on overnight. Um, And you don't, and that's the beauty of the renegades is that they are so easy to put on and off. Uh, You know, you don't need any tools. You don't have to hammer them on. If they're tight, they're probably the wrong size. So they need to be able to go, you know, on and off very easily. And and that's one of the beauties of, of the Renegades is that they were designed so that they are simple and easy to use. And, uh, you know, they're not a lot of work. Uh, you know, I can put, I, I give myself about eight minutes at a ride between cleaning my horse's feet and putting the boots on and that's for all four boots and and then of course taking them off you know i can get all four boots off in like a minute because they're you know they're you just undo the velcro strap and pull them right off and uh and, and you're done and that's that's the beauty of being able to use um a boot like a renegade is that you can keep your horses barefoot the rest of the time and then just use the boots when you need them for the you know whatever the the train or the footing conditions uh you know require and um you know most of the endurance rides i do are are pretty rocky in spots and and so it's great to be able to add the protection when you need it um you know there are some rides where the footing is really good um um, but for the most part, it, the, you know, it's, it's a better plan to protect your horse 
um, because the boots keep your horse, you know, they protect the entire bottom of, of the horse's foot, which is good because when you're doing distance, you really want to keep your horse as protected and comfortable as possible because once they get foot sore, you know, you can, you can add the boot on, but the horse is still sore. It's just like if you hit your, uh, your thumb with a hammer, it's still going to hurt even if you put a bandaid on it. (laughs) Right. Right. You, You know? And, and so the, the best advice I have for people that are using hoof boots is, you know, you want to get your horse used to using them ahead of time, use them for training and conditioning. So your horse is used to them and you're familiar with putting them on and off and getting the adjustments right. And then they're, uh, you, you know, it, it's a really great item um, that we have um, to be able to use. And renegades are made in the United States. They come in several different colors, so you can match your tack. And you can find out more about renegades at renegadehoofboots.com. And they do sell studded ones. We were just talking about mud and slippery conditions. They do sell studded boots as well. So check them out there, renegadehoofboots.com. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a chance yesterday to catch up with with an old timer in the. She's going to love me saying that an old timer <laughs> in the sport of endurance, right? We we did Karen Bumgardner, and she is the author of America's Long Distance Challenge. She has ridden over twenty six thousand miles Whoa. herself. Whoa. And so we had a chance to to catch up and talk about her book and her upcoming endurance ride. Well, good morning, Karen. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. The sun's shining. It's a good day. You know, I, I thought about, you know, talking to you about your book that you wrote, America's Long Distance Challenge. And I have it. I have a copy right here in my hand. It's one of the first books that I ever bought when I first got into this sport. It, and so what year did you first publish this? I believe I started on it in 88, but I think it actually came out just before convention in 1990. Wow. Wow. And so how did you get uh, started in endurance writing yourself? You know, back then, um, we just, I don't know, we, we read lots of articles. We saw stories on different people and horses and stuff. And I just decided I wanted to do it. And um, when I was at uh, Coeur d'Alene at the racetrack, we had racehorses then. Um, I met who is now Terry Finale, but it was Terry Benedetti back then. And she said she was up from Santa Rosa, and she, her and I started talking endurance. And we would ride out from the racetrack up in the mountains there at Coeur d'Alene. And she gave me a few tips and pointers. And I said, well, I'm doing a ride in June, and um, off I went, and I did my first 50-mile ride on my big, tall Appy that was my pony horse at the racetrack. And you got hooked ever since, right? (laughs) Yep. I just decided, hey, this is a lot more fun than telling some little short guy how to ride my horse bike for long. (laughs) That's true. And so so what are some of the differences that you see from when you first started compared to now? Oh, tons. Tons. And I probably won't go into some of them because I might offend somebody. (laughs) We're a lot more scientific, and sometimes the scientific is good, but sometimes people rely on the statistics and science too much. 
and they really don't focus on their horse. Um, I think we've lost a great deal as far as horsemanship goes. Mm-hmm. And we need to get that back. Um, but see, when a lot of us started this back in medieval ages, um, we were we were like second, third, fourth generation horsemen. We were right, right. And we had a lot of different knowledge. And today we have people coming in that possess no real knowledge, and they're trying to get it, but. Um, the horsemanship is definitely, you know, lacking. But scientific-wise, we've got better electrolytes. We've got heart monitors. We have, you know, a lot of things out there to help the horses. The vets have learned a lot. Um, our vetting standards, of course, are a lot more strict than when I first started. And um, so there's there's a lot of improvement. And I think the horses are, are better off. Um, the ones I see up here in the Northwest are anyway. Um, so lots of changes, lots of changes in wardrobe, um, lots of changes thanks to research and mm-hmm. blood work on and how our physiology works. All right, I got to stop you there. So tell us what the wardrobe was back when you first started. Oh, well, the wardrobe back when I first started was... Um, people wore jeans. They had duct tape around the bottoms to keep them from riding up their legs or they, or ace bandages around your knees, you know, and, um, we didn't have lycra tight and we didn't have comfort clothes and, uh, we didn't have little sheepskin fuzzies to cover our butts on the saddles. And <laughs> All I'm picturing is a lot of chafing. I'm picturing a lot of chafing. A lot well, of red, red skin. Yeah. <laughs> It was. In the old days, you peeled your jeans off, and when you got in the shower, you just kind of went, because <laughs> it hurt them. Jeez. You know? I mean, it was, we didn't have, well, we did have helmets, but they were the racetrack-type skull caps, and they were hot. Yeah, uh-huh. like that, they didn't do anything. You fell on the ground, they just crack in half. <laughs> they were... Well, the, the skull caps were pretty solid. I put one to the test one time. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um, uh oh. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, back then, uh, most people didn't ride with the helmet. I was accustomed to a helmet having been brought up at the racetrack. And I had one horse that, yeah, he was kind of a renegade, and I did ride him in a helmet. And, um, but for the most part, I didn't really start wearing a helmet until 88, I think, when my daughter started riding. I wanted to set a good example because helmets <laughs> you know. So right. now we look more like displaced bicycle riders than horse riders. Right. Cowboys so, at me. <laughs> and, and, what, and what kind of tack did you start out with? I started out with um, a Western saddle and um, just a mechanical hackamore. And my horse, he was, uh, um, he was my pony horse at the track. I outrode him a lot. And which is pulling up the racehorses after they uh, cross the finish line. And um, the, the, I remember that very first ride and the second one too, I think. There were runaway horses. And Sunny and I were busy pulling up all these people on the runaway horses and letting them get, are you all controlled now? Are you tied on? Yeah, I'm good. 
okay, you turn it loose and off we go again. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about maybe a couple of the first rides that you went to. Oh, well, the first ride I went to, of course, was a real experience because I'd never been to one. I really had no clue. Um, I went around introducing myself to, you know, the likes of Lou Hollander and John Summerlin, who were stars back then. And they just kind of looked at me like I was nuts and told me my horse would never make it because he was, <laughs> he was he was 16 to and almost 1,200 pounds. And they said, he'll, he'll never make it. You, you, you need a little air, you know, and I'm like, well, this is what I have. And uh, he did over 4,000 miles, so. He kind of made letters out of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> that first ride was out of Vale, and we had to cross the Mount Here River right at the start. That was an interesting little rodeo for a lot of people. And then we went up Reinhardt Butte, and we made a big, big circle out there. And the one thing I do remember is back then we didn't have water bottles, and a canteen, if you carried it, would beat you to death. And I do remember it coming to a water tank and just kind of skimming the crud off the top of the tank and shooing the little water skippers away. And I told myself, if water skippers could live in that water, I could drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Alongside my horse. And then we got got into the last vet check and me coming from the racetrack, I had... um, training plates on my horse because that was the closest thing we could get to what we called cowboy shoes and um they were like razor blade they were worn so bad and uh, i think one of them all so do you look at karen now and go wow they have it easy we do have it easy now (laughs) we do have we've got so many riders out there that have no clue the kinds of trails that we used to ride and how tough rides used to be, rides these days are easy. Easy. Now, Kevin has not changed, thankfully. But there's a lot of rides out there that, well, they died because people wouldn't go to them because, oh, those are too hard. I can't do that. But let me tell you what, you know, when I first started, that was your choice. Ride it or stay home. It's kind of like, you know, you got two choices. You can sit in the truck and cry, or you can get out and go do something. <laughs> and my dad told me that a lot, and I usually got out and did something because sitting in the truck and crying wasn't any fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree, and especially with our camping situations. I mean, if you just look around the camps now from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I mean, everybody's got living quarters and we've got, you know, heating, air conditioning, showers, microwaves. Everybody's got all of these modern conveniences that just people didn't have in the early days of the sport. What do you think, Karen? Well, that's, that's really true. Um, we used to pull in with a two-horse trailer and a pickup and pitch a camp. Um, if you were lucky, you had a, a little camper or canopy. Um, for the most part, we had nothing. But And back then, we always had a um, campfire, and everybody would gather around the campfire. And that doesn't happen anymore. Um, people finish their ride. They go in their LQ. They have their shower. 
and nobody gathers around the campfire at night anymore. It, if you have five people sitting around the campfire waiting for those 100-mile riders to come in, that's a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I remember old days, you'd come in midnight, 3 in the morning, and there would be people waiting up for you. Pretty rare these days. Right. Right. Now you have to go knock on the trailer door, door to get the vet up. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. You're correct. <laughs> I don't do very many hunters anymore. Um, I do one occasionally. We don't have very many hunters to choose from up here in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you know, we used to have half a dozen hundred mile rides and we go to all of them. Now you're lucky if you have one. This right. year, the AHA championship is in Idaho in the fall. So there's a hundred there and there's a hundred miler in uh, uh, Washington coming up in like three weeks. But, right. I mean, that's kind of all we got. Right. Yeah, it definitely has dropped off a lot, which is too bad. So tell us a little bit about your ride. You have a ride yourself coming up that you manage, right? Yes. And thanks to oh, weather and last year a fire went through out there. Oh, no. Yeah, and I wasn't too worried about the fire because I knew the grounds would come back pretty good. But with the weather, the heavy snows, um, a lot of rain this spring, the Owyhee River is still flooded. It took out the bridge where we normally go across to our vet check area. Well, right Uh-oh. now our vet check area is underwater, and the bridge is gone. So oh, no. I, I remodeled the loop and made it a 20. And I said, and I, I have a 10-mile loop that involves Becker Creek Canyon, and that's a really cool place. And I said, I'll just, the 55 can go around the 20 and cut across and jump on the 10 and do that loop, and that'll be 27, and they can do that twice. That's 54 miles. You call it a 55. And I said, that'll be cool. And then the 20s can, or the LDs can do a 20 and a 10 and have a 30-mile ride. Oh, good. Well, we've been, that was a good plan. You know what they say Uh-oh. about plan. Well, and Sucker Creek has just been like a raging river all spring. And we've been watching it. And we rode out yesterday and looked at it, my friend Linda Ballard and I. And we both just kind of shook our heads and said, we can't take people across there. Oh, no. I mean, I've crossed, I've crossed rivers worse than that on Thunder. I've been up in the mountains and crossed white water in places I probably shouldn't have. But that doesn't mean you can take 50 riders through there. You know, it's just asking for trouble. And the water's moving really fast, and it's got some deep spots. And that's the shallow crossing. That's where they normally drive across when they are when people are out there, you know. Right. So there went my ten mile loop, and so yesterday, and you know, it was a tough decision. But you got to draw the line. The ride's in a week. The creek's not going to drop that much in a week. Mm-hmm. Just, so what do you what are you going to do? I um, decided, well, her and I, we stomped around looking for new trail. And, of course, without being able to cross the creek, that really limited us. 
And we also couldn't go to the west because then we would be on an area that they just seeded from the fire. And I know they don't want us out there on that new seeding. Mm-hmm. So found we found a nice little trail through a canyon and and had a little meandering creek in there and it was really quite pretty. Um and then you come out on top and it has some great views and I said, Well, you know, we could we could do this for the L V. We can't do it for the fifty fives, but we could do it for the L V. And then Linda kind of thought that it might be a little hard for the L V riders. So I guess the L V riders after they do the twenty mile loop They'll just go down to the creek and give their horse a drink and go, oh, wow, look at that creek, and turn around and go back to camp and have 25 miles. And then the 55 we're going to have to do, it's not what I wanted to do at all, but I had a 14-mile loop for a trail ride because I also have trail rides. Time to and call the Army so, and have them put okay. up one of those quick bridges. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, so what I ended up doing is the 55 they're going to have to do the 20-mile loop twice, and a 14-mile loop. Oh, okay. Well, at least you're able to get it to come together. I know the trails in my area have a lot of washouts, and and things are just really damaged. There's trees down everywhere, and and, uh, so uh, bless you for getting all this together, because I know it is a lot of work. It's been really tough, and I know... You know, we haven't even been down through the canyon. We can't because of the water, and the water's been rushing through there all winter and spring. And so, you know, there's going to be down trees and chiseled out places, and there's just going to be a lot of damage. So maybe in the fall, I, I, I sometimes I put on a trail ride in the fall, just a, you know, for a fundraiser deal. And mm-hmm. um, so... Maybe in the fall we can do one, you know. Okay, so so back to your book real quick. I'm looking at the cover. Is that Trilby Peterson on the front? It is Trilby. Okay, I love it. But, you know, and I could kind of tell because of the little purple headband on, on her, and I know she always wrote in purple, but I love the little baseball cap that she has <laughs> attached to her saddle. <laughs> that was her on Rush Creek Lab. So if somebody was interested in ordering a copy of your book, where would you uh, advise them to go? Um, they can they can get it from me. Um, I revised it a couple years ago. Right. I, I went right. and I put in a few more. I left a lot of the history in there. Like there's a, an old picture from Virginia City and a lot of Charlie uh, Burroughs pictures. And mm-hmm. I left all those but I added some new ones with all of us in our flashy tights and helmets and pretty saddles and, you know, a lot of the uh-huh. new stuff. Updated a lot of stuff. And you can get that at Amazon. Um, it's in Kindle version as well. Um, Barnes & Noble has it, and they have it in a Nook version. Um, and, and like I say, people can order it from me. I just have the soft cover copies, but... They can get hardcover from Amazon. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you, uh, Karen, for coming on and joining us this morning. And I enjoyed uh, getting to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. And uh, uh, I'm just, while she was, uh, while we were playing that, I was reading all of the 
This is the most uh, reaction we've had to a Facebook post in a long time. Were you looking over those? <laughs> Good. Yes. All these animals and critters everybody encounters on their rides. Isn't it cool? <laughs> That's enough to scare you to death. All right. So uh, that leads us to our next guest. <laughs> oh, good. Well, um, we have Matt Scribner back on, who uh, he also hosts the Tevis Talks, and he's been in the sport of endurance riding for many decades. And uh, we're going to have a fun time talking a little bit about the philosophy of why we do this. So, uh, good morning, Matt. Welcome. Good to morning. The show again. <laughs> good. <laughs> Thank you, been... you. Good morning, Glenn. How are you? Good morning. I got to tell you, you're timely because the show we've had so far with all these animals and deadly critters trying to scare us to death, and then all this talk on okay. our, our listener pages about all their horses being lame and Jennifer's horses lame, and, and there's been a lot of discussion about why oh, do no. we do this? So, <laughs> there we go. Why do we do this? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you have to answer well, that. Uh, That's all up to you to answer oh, why we do this. That is a big question. <laughs> that is a big question. So, so you know... Um, uh, you know, Karen and I, we, we, we've had conversations at rides and, you know, at the, you know, at the at camp and, and that kind of thing. And we've gotten some, you know, had some philosophical discussions and, um, you know, I don't know if I could ever answer that question because I think mostly <laughs> right. it's, it's what, what it's, it's a personal thing, you know? Um, I, I think that all horse people, might share a, a, a gene of some sort <laughs> if we did some kind of genetic test that uh, draws us to these animals. That's for sure. Um, but you know, there's there's just a lot of uh, um, you know, I I think that that in horsemanship that uh, that we're we're we have to kind of know what our goals are and what, and, and how we project ourselves with it. Don't you think? Right. And, uh, and Glenn, Matt and I were talking about when we go to a ride, what our goals are. And Matt brought up an interesting point about whether we are going to prove our horse or trying to improve our horse. So explain that a little bit more, Matt. Well, with, you know, years ago I had a radio show and uh, I had a discussion with Pat Pirelli one time and he told me this story about um, the fact that he rides a unicycle and he would go r- around the country and do his clinics and, and every once in a while, um, you know, if he found a park or someplace and he had a little spare time just to kind of, you know, clear his mind and get away from, you know, the horse world for a little while, he'd take his unicycle to a park and ride it around the park and just, you know, kind of be, be by himself. And, um, and he was telling somebody that, and they said, that must really improve your balance. And, um, and Pat said, replied, no, it proves my balance. And, mm. and, you know, and he used that kind of that wordplay in discussing, you know, uh, horsemanship in general, the ver- you know, proving versus improving. And it, and it really is, it's semantics. It's, it's just a wordplay. It's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can define it in so many different ways, but in horsemanship, I think it's it's one of those things that we can as we can always kind of keep in the back of our mind. What am I doing? Am I improving my horse or am I proving my horse? And in endurance, it's really you know we're asking these horses to do an awful lot, and um, and you know we go out on conditioning rides, and those conditioning rides are supposed to 
you know, um, build cardiovascular, build muscle, you know, um, expose the horse to trail. And that's a, a, a day of improving our horse. And then we take our horses to a ride. And we, can, we have a choice. And, and my wife, Lee, and I, a lot of times we'll go to rides and we're going, you know what, this is just a conditioning ride. We're going to take it easy. We're going to just, you know, make sure that the horses are, are you know, um, drinking and eating. And we're not going to push them on these rides because we want this ride just to build them up, bump mm-hmm. them up to the next level. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's rides that we go to that are going to be, you know, that, that day that we prove our, our program and, uh, we might, might move out a little bit and, and ask a little more of them. Um, Tevis is definitely a, a day of proving, you know, um, there's, there's hundred mile rides out there that are definitely a day of proving your program. Right. But when you prove, this is where things get a little bit, you know, sticky when you're, when you're trying, when you go out and you prove is, you know, you're probably taking something away from that horse too. I mean, the horse only has so many miles in him, and um, we have to be careful on those on those days. And um, and and you know, and Karen, you know, jump in anytime you want to okay. to kind of follow up with this this discussion. But but you know, that's that's where um, we have to, as humans, really keep ourselves in check because the horse, you know, they're only going to you know they're going to do what we ask them to do. And, and I think that the ego and, and our own personal, you know, how we want people to view us as riders sometimes interferes with that. Right. And, and we also do care deeply with how, what our horses are thinking and how they're feeling and how their, their perception of what we're asking them to do. Like we were just uh, recently discussing, you know, how far 50 miles really is because it's, it's really far. It's a, it's a long way. And you know, what are our horses thinking? I I mean, it's, and of course we are always questioning ourselves, like, why are we doing this? You know, just like hearing the stories (laughs) about the riders at the Biltmore riding in the mud and the rain and the cold conditions and what are what do you suppose our horses are thinking well what i you know um i i've been playing around with just different philosophy to me it's you know there's there's the abcs of horsemanship and then there's there's that little that other aspect of and it, it really does come down to why are we doing this but you know just the philosophical part of horsemanship and um you know, one of the things that, that I've kind of been playing around with in my own mind is, is the concept of distance. And, you know, you know, like you said, 50 miles is a long, it really is a long distance. And, and as humans, we, we have, you know, our, our measurements of, you know, inches, feet, yards, and, you know, miles and, and, and so on. Uh, you know, and, we, um, we often say, um, we often say that the way you have to think about that, because 50 miles is kind of abstract, right? But if you think about where you right, live exactly. and where the town is, that's 50 miles away, like from us, <laughs> from Ocala, that's almost Orlando, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. Yeah. exactly. And a yeah. hundred, I mean, you know, I live in, I live in cool California. Reno is a hundred miles from me. And I mean, when you drive a, it, you go, oh, this is taking forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right. And so that's, that's our concept of distance. And then, you know, just in observation with horses, I was thinking, you know, do horses have a concept of distance? And, and my, you know, and my observation is, is they do in the, in the, in the sense that, you know, they, 
their their concept of distance is as far as they can see and as far as they can hear. You know, that's their concept. And then another observation I've had lately is a horse will always take the shortest distance possible to get from point A to point B. And, um, and so, you know, they maybe do have somewhat of a, of a, a concept, but they're, they're looking for the shortest distance possible. And here we are asking them to go, you know, these long distances. So to them, it probably makes no sense. And, and, you know, because, I mean, you know, you'll see like a horse will be, you'll be moving along on a trail and they'll see horses blow them on another trail. Well, they're going to try to cut the trail to get to those horses. That's their, that's their concept of distance. Why would we go this way when we can just go straight down this hill to get to get there, you know, get to the, and and so we Right. We end up pointing them towards camp and then we turn and take them away from camp. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and a a horse, a horse's only motivation to get from point A to point B is either food, water, or safety. And, um, and, you know, you were telling me how, you know, they doing those long distance, the cross country ride that you've done that, that they actually sense when they're getting close to the uh, the finish line, even though they've never seen the finish line because you're moving, you know, you know, forward, you're not making right. loops or anything on, on those cross country rides. And that really was interesting to me to hear that. Right. So, yeah. They, they so, kind of you know, have an ad- odometer built in and they kind of know, okay, I've been out here for 48 miles. I'm going to be done in a couple <laughs> more miles. You know, it's, it's right. kind kind of neat, even though it's a camp they've never been to or seen before. So they probably do have a concept of distance, you know, uh, in their, in their own, you know, natural way. And, um, and as you know, here we are asking them, um, you know, to do this and it's our responsibility to make sure that that horse is fit, is well cared for and, you know, getting back to proving versus improving you know, the most important thing to me is, is, you know, to prove my program by showing up with a fit horse with weight on it, my saddle fits, I've got proper hoof protection. I, you know, I've, I've done everything I possibly can to take that, you know, to bring and bring this horse to a ride and not have any excuses, you know, or, you know, my horse, you know, that's how I want to show up at a ride. And, and, and I know you do too, Karen. And and what you've done with your horse, um, you got your ten thousand, didn't you? On that um, horse, you were getting real close. Um, both. Or, yes, he's like ninety four hundred miles. He's close to ten, and then Chief 90, is over. That is over, amazing. Yeah, and Chief's over fifteen. So he's done. And you so, know, yeah. You know, and so you've proved your program. If we, you know, by, by taking these horses and, and going to the, the rides and, you know, having them, you know, sound and fit, not winning the ride. It was, it was, it was adding those miles to them. And, and along the way, you know, I know you, you know, I mean, mileage, every time that foot falls, it, uh, you know, it, it's stress on the horse's legs, but we try to do the best we can to make sure that, that uh, we, you know, we don't hurt them. You know, that's right, what it really right. comes down Cause, to. Because the wear, wear and tear is accumulative, which, yeah. which I see yeah. every they year in the so point standings. In their, in, in them. Right. You see people and they don't, they haven't, 
you know, come to that realization yet. Uh, and that's why, you know, having the long-term goals, I think, has become a really important thing for a lot of endurance riders or even trail riders. Because we get attached to our horses and we just, we love riding them and spending the time in doing these crazy things with them, you know, doing rides in the mud and the rain and the bad weather, (laughs) Um, you know, but, but we get, we get this bond and this attachment to them and and them to us as well. And, and so we, uh, we do need to pay attention to how much we're depleting them and taking out of them when we're riding them, even if we're, writing just to to accumulate the mileage and stuff it is still wear and tear i mean the horse is still putting out a great amount of effort to do that 50 miles that day or whatever the distance is that you're doing right you know and i don't have i don't have issue with with you know the riders that go to the rides and 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 you know win rides i mean you know i mean that's that, i don't have issue with that um you know we all have we all show up with different goals as, mm-hmm. as the endurance rides. And I think that, I think that that, that is just part of our sport and it's part of, you know, I mean, any equestrian sport, um, you know, I mean, so, and, and that's okay. That's okay. I think that, um, you know, what they, what, what I want to see is, is that, you know, they, they understand that, you know, every time that we, they do that to, you know, go, go out and, and race their horse and go fast that, uh, you know, that they know that that horse needs lots of rest afterwards, way more rest than, than us middle of the pack or back of the pack riders. And, um, that, you know, a horse only has so many of those in them and, right. uh, that they manage the horse, right. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I see that, I see that, you know, I watch the winners and I see how, how they, they care for their horses. And, and, and in most cases, they, they've just got some, you know, really great athletes and they, they show up and the horses look good and they know what they're doing. And, and that's great. Um, you know, I think that, that it is, endur- you know, new endurance riders need to learn that that winning, those winning, those people that are winning and constantly winning, that they are doing a real, they know a lot about how to manage those horses. Right, and, right. Um, and, and it takes time to get to that level. If that's your goal, you know, it takes time to get to that level, but in the meantime, you know, go out and just improve your horse at these rides, you know, and, and bump them up, bump them up. Um, you know, I always, I have a, a just a little strategy as far as, you know, and it's from running a ba- running background is, is never increase speed and distance at the same time. <clears throat> right. And, um, you know, and, and, and if you ride that way and I've, I've accidentally, you know, broken those rules before, and sometimes I've gotten away with it and sometimes I haven't, Mm -hmm. um, but I try to stick to that rule, um, because that pretty much guarantees a finish or, or definitely, um, increases your your odds of finishing a ride. It definitely does. And speed, not necessarily, you know, speed can also be difficulty too. Um, you know, I mean, a real difficult ride, a, a ride with lots of hills in it, um, you know, you have to take that into account too. But if you ride that way and, you know, you, you're conditioning your horse, conditioning your horse, and you, and, you, and you just keep increasing the distance, but don't increase the speed, and then you take them to a ride, you're going to have some success. And, um, you know, but that's, that's how I try to manage my horses, my wife and I both, you know, ride that way, try to ride that way. 
And, uh, you know, it's not like we're, you know, super high mileage riders or, or anything like that, but we like to show up with good horses and, uh, and feel good about taking those horses out. I do have kind of issue with 25s. I don't like, uh, first place finishes on 25s. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but that's not a ride to prove your horse. Right. And, uh, when you put a, right. when you put a yeah, prize, I, I, when you put a prize out there yes. uh, for, for uh, the first place on a 25, it takes away from the whole idea of improving. That's a ride to improve, not right. to prove. I think it teaches the horse a lot of the wrong things as well. If if your goal it is, is new riders to, the wrong thing too. Right. If your if your goal is truly to ride the longer distances, then racing a twenty five is really not in your horse's best interest. That's how I feel. Hey guys, absolutely. I mean, you and I have been in this sport. Yes. I was just going to say we could let you go all day, but we're running out of time. <laughs> we're Matt, we're going to have to have you <laughs> oh, back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I we're, know. We're, what, I'm tell sorry. Us, you know, tell us real quick, what are the Tevis talks? Oh, well, for the last five years, um, I've done a, a, a live talk show bringing in guests. And it's a lot like your idea. You know, I mean, the, you know, just to have an audience to hear a conversation on horsemanship with, with different guests. We've had Clinton Anderson, um, Linda Tellington Jones, um, uh, Becky Hart, you know, some really good guests and, um, and just sit up on stage and have a conversation with, uh, in front of an audience oh, that's a good and, uh, about horsemanship, where just can people a philosophical, hear you know, pardon me. Where can people hear them? Where, where can you find them? It's it's a live show. It's a live oh, show. Okay. Uh, it's uh, at a, a, a theater in Auburn. And uh, this year, I, 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 I'm taking a break this year, but pa- actually Pat Pirelli's the guest, and it'll be in June. And, um, and so um, it's, uh, it, it's just a, you know, it's the whole idea that what you're doing, Glenn, you and, you and Karen, it's, it's, you know, having just a, a good horsemanship conversation and uh, letting people just kind of listen in, you know? Well, and, um, and, and it's fun. Well, so next time, take the talk. thing and we'll put it out on the network. We'll, we'll put it out for you. Okay. All right. We'll do that. Yeah, well, definitely. Thank you this... so much, guys, for being on. Well, I know that we kind of rambled about a, a whole lot of things, but uh, it's a lot of fun. No, it's very It is a lot of fun. And, and you yeah. know what it made yeah. me think? It made me, because, you, you know, when you talk about horsemanship, I go back in time to before cars when everybody had horses, <laughs> right? And you, you had to have some degree of horsemanship, mm-hmm. and the horse was your livelihood, so keeping it alive and healthy was what you had to do, or you didn't work or have get to work or have a job. So, And then I got to thinking, I wonder, I'm sure half the world was like, Cars, thank God we don't have to deal with those horses anymore. And the other half was like, oh, cars, you know, I'd rather keep my horse. (laughs) So I'm sure it was that way back then, too. You know, it was the same way. Uh, It's funny to think about that. Yeah, I I think that that it's it's interesting that in modern time, I mean, there's still people, you know, out there like us and your listeners that just have that love for these animals. And, um, and, you know, and it's, it's purely just, it, it comes from the heart. And, uh, um, and, and I'm really thankful for that because, uh, the horse is such a, a huge part of, of how we are as humans, I believe. Well, Matt, do you have a second you know, or they, do you have a couple more minutes? So much for us. 
Because, uh, all right, well, good, because we asked a question earlier on because we kept coming (laughs) up with this topic of uh, everybody kept saying about the wildlife they've encountered while riding because Karen had some coyotes try to Uh eat her dog. Um, And then we've had snake encounters here today. We've just had all kinds of things. So we asked our listeners and we've had more (laughs) comments. We've had more comments than I've seen on any post in a while. So I was going to go down through a few of them here. We have uh, foxes and coyotes. The sec, Josh said tourists. So I don't know where he lives, (laughs) but uh, people. People. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where he lives. They uh, are the scariest things. Yeah, humans. Yeah, humans. We're the most dangerous of all animals anyway. Jo- uh, Joan said wild boar. We have Jacqueline with uh, black bear. I ran all the way back to the barn. I hope she brought her horse with her. Um, (laughs) Judy says, a bear. I was on a competitive trail ride. Spotters well ahead of the bear warned us that the baby bear was up in a tree and not to go by the tree. Yeah, no no kidding. Uh, Jennifer lives in Florida and alligators. We have have, Jennifer has, my wife Jennifer has run across those on fox hunts before. Um, Eagles. I don't know if I'd want (laughs) to. You're not going to challenge the gator. Uh, <laughs> we used to play golf no. in the South, and every time there was a gator on the green, you got a, I got a par. So, and I was a terrible golfer, so I was always praying for gators. Like, please have there be a gator on the yeah. par five. Because um, that's the only way I was getting par five. Here we have uh, Bear. Um, had a bison on my trail, joined my trail ride. Well, that must have been interesting. And and a lot of people said elk. Wild boar seems to be popular, especially Ooh. in the South. Uh, and they are scary, and they're noisy, and they're ugly, and they stink. There's nothing good about a wild boar. And uh, they often have ticks all over them. Oh, they're just gross looking. They're just uh-huh. gross. A cougar. Well, there's a one that you don't want to see every day. Ugh. Yeah. Bobcats so are cute. They're cute. A couple of people saw bobcats, but they're kind of cute. Well, uh, let's hear from Matt. What what have you seen as far as wildlife encounters? Well, probably, probably I was pack. I was on a pack trip up in Idaho, and uh, I ran into a moose, and uh, that was a a little bit, you know, I mean, face to face on the trail. <laughs> they're um, big. Ran into a badger one time <laughs> up in up in Idaho packing. And, uh, and it wouldn't leave the trail. It just stood there and stomped its feet and wouldn't, wouldn't move. So we had to wait until it finally got bored and left. Oh my gosh. And, um, <laughs> badger was, you know, let and, you buy. yeah, I mean, yeah, the badger, the badger was angry. It did not yeah. give up that trail. And, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I was a kid at that, you know, and I was like, well, what do we do? And, 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 and my dad's like, well, we just wait because <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's not much else we can do. And, uh, finally it, it took off, but, uh, yeah, I've run into, you know, um, run into some bear, um, bear usually are running from us, you know, then right. they see you, they run, it's the bear around here, <laughs> around our, our area. Um, but, uh. Um, I think it's incredible when we run into wildlife out out on the trail. I think it's it's just a it just it just makes you feel like you're you're out out there with nature. Well, it's, it's great. Stacy had you know we don't want our horses to be scared of them. Stacy had the the best one here, and I know Stacy is a photographer and a wildlife photographer and has traveled the world, so that's that's where this comes from. A charging elephant and a herd of Cape buffalo that had treed a lioness. 
<laughs> well, that's something okay, we don't see here. Win. That that wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she oh, gets it. Yeah. <laughs> which which of our Arabs are going to be hanging around for a a charging <laughs> elephant and a herd of Cape buffalo that had a lion in a tree? <laughs> yeah. None. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, it's yeah, been fun gonna, as always. Turn and run. <laughs> thank you so much hey, for well, thank joining you us. So much yeah, thanks, for, Matt. for having me on and anytime. Okay. All right. Take okay, care, Matt. Thanks. Have a good day, Matt. <laughs> Bye. All right. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. I can't believe he does those Tevis talks and doesn't tape them. <laughs> well, I think the goal is to get people to go see it live. Uh, yeah, but uh, I don't live in I, California, so I'm not I going know, to see yes. it live. It, it uh, would be good to to, uh, to have it, you know, pre-recorded and available. What a super uh, so nice guy, by the way. Maybe they will. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot of fun, you know. And and this is a topic we haven't really covered before, you know, a little bit about the uh, philosophical reasons we do and endurance rides. And I can see you and, two doing endurance rides together, just chatting for hours. <laughs> exactly well you know we have that's the point is we're out there for hours Hours. Literally. you have hours <laughs> we have you hours, have is hours. <laughs> we, we do we have hours and hours and uh you, you know and that's that's the thing you know some people their goal is to get done as soon as they can and kick back and and hang out and socialize and and that's what you know, what some people want to do and that's great for them. And then there's, you know, the group of, a lo- uh, you know, probably the majority of endurance riders where we do just want to be out there with our horse, uh, you know, for hours and hours. And, and that's what we love to do. And, and so I think it's sort of cool to kind of ponder a little bit about uh, why we're doing this and what, we're getting out of it and what we're asking out of our horses because they give us so much, you, you know, to carry us, uh, whatever the distance is that we're riding. And, uh, it was so, interesting so to fun. the contrast today was hearing from, from Karen who wrote the book, America's long distance challenge back in 1990. Right. So, you know, she's mm-hmm. been doing this longer than most 90% of the people out there. Right. And uh-huh. to hear her, I, you know, when you hear her, when I listened back to it, and I'm sure you heard the same thing, her biggest regret really was the socializing, was was li- living quarter the trailers. Changes. Living mm-hmm. quarter trailers, in her opinion, ruined it because you didn't have people in tents sitting around a campfire anymore just spending time with each other. Uh, right. You know, in her opinion, and, and you can see where that comes from, because when this first started, it was a group of like-minded people who really were out there doing something that, you know, on trails that weren't real good. And, you know, it was a rough and tumble more than it is today, just like eventing was. So it was a whole uh-huh. kind of different breed of people who part of it was, you know, they were out there together to survive. <laughs> right, right. Yes, we weren't we didn't have all those creature comforts initially to, to start out with, you know, if somebody had a camper, you know, that was like luxury, the bomb, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then, and now, you know, people pull into camp and they've got these 45 foot long, you know, palace on wheels basically. And they they get home and they go back into their palace. Right. And it's just like campgrounds. We used to belong to a camping club when I was growing up. We had, yeah. The Fox is in our arena again. We have this family of foxes that what live in our backyard, literally. And oh, cool. uh, there's mom and dad and two babies, oh, oh. and they live in our backyard. But yeah. the horse is back there, right? 
Yeah, Nigel. Well, I think what's going on now is we're, we're having a pretty significant drought right now, and their regular source of water is gone. Oh, they should move. They should move out there. And it's gone. They should move out west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should. They go he's, drink. Getting, he's getting a drink out of. Uh, he's getting a drink of out of Nigel's, Nigel's water bowl right now. He gets now. a drink out I, of the bowl. Yeah. I just had ducks on my property a couple days ago. It rained so much. I had a pond, which I normally don't. <laughs> and I had actually ducks out there swimming around and, in my pond. You know, pond. it's so funny because <laughs> it's our turn. You know, we're here in tropical Florida. We have not had rain in months, and we're having wildfires all over the place. Oh, So uh, it's exact opposite. But it's funny that I didn't think the foxes would be in the field with the horse. But, during uh, the day, no. Apparently, we're well, all Well, the horse won't little... bother him, but I was surprised to see him during the day. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's we're the, all having the mail this time. It's a big one. Wildlife encounter. It is animal day here on an endurance show. We have to go now. All right. So <laughs> we're way over time. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks once again, Karen, for doing this for four years we also Thanks, appreciate please. that obviously we have not run other things to talk about we haven't and happy birthday jennifer happy birthday dear thank you and uh we are going to be back tomorrow jamie will be here thursday we have mary kitzmiller during doing a training episode with us so she'll be here on thursday and then friday's really bad ads day so get your ads in just get to craigslist look at ads it take you two seconds to find a bad horse ad in craigslist and then send them over to jennifer at horseradionetwork.com if you record them you get double the cr- entries into the drawing at the end of the month thanks karen what's your website where can everybody go to follow you it is at karenchatton.com karenchatton.com 